on this episode of Animation Deliberation, we ask and answer the question, what if? That's right, what if is finally here, and we're tackling the first episode. What if Captain Carter were the one to receive the super soldier serum? We're going to get into that right after these ads we have no control over. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I'm your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair, and I am joined, as always, by Zuhair Ali. What's going on, Zuhair? How are you? My eyelids are very heavy, uh, but my voice is here. My enthusiasm is here. And despite my exhaustion, we will talk about MCU's first animated series. Word, word. I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad your enthusiasm's here. It wouldn't be the same without you. And joining us, we have a new voice, but a voice I'm very excited to include. Andrew Rogers, someone that's been participating in the Stranded Panda After Dark activities uh, we've made friends with him there, and it's great to be able to bring him on. He's a big fan of animation, and uh, I will let him introduce himself. What's up, Andrew? How are you? Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, guys. I am doing fantastic. I am so excited both to be here and about everything that What If has to offer. And Marvel animation is now probably at the top of my list for things to be excited about. So <laughs> this is going to be fun. What podcast got you into Stranded Panda stuff? I actually started with the MCU cast, as most people probably sure. do, sure. and I actually started right around um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is where, uh, Jay Scotty, you were a guest, and as soon as I heard that you guys were covering uh, Young Justice on here, I was <laughs> signed up, because Young Justice is, in my opinion, one of the best animated shows, especially for comic books. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, I, I joined on you guys and listened to the entire backlog of three episodes in like a day and then oh, have wow. just kept up ever since. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You yeah. just woke me up and made my day. Thank you for that. Well, thank you guys. That means a lot. Yeah. Uh, our passion for uh, Young Justice is right there with yours. And that's a show that's uh, near and dear to our hearts as the, the show that this show was born out of. But uh, this is actually a good opportunity. I like that Zuhair kind of took the lead there. While we've got you, before we, we get into the nitty gritty here. What are some of your, your favorite animation um, series go before going into what if? Um, well, I grew up on star Wars, the clone wars. I mentioned young justice mm -hmm. um, Ben 10 Pokemon okay. stuff like that was what I grew up with. And then recently um, my partner got me into anime and she has just had me watching all sorts of things in the last year. So I've grown such an appreciation for the art of it, the way that it's directed, the way that it's written. It's all fantastic. And I will go on record right now saying Into the Spider-Verse is the best Marvel <laughs> thing ever oh, for cool. the animation and story and the masterclass that that is. So I definitely have a lot of love for different forms of animation all over the place. 
I look awesome. forward to hearing awesome. uh, what you have to say when we start getting into the Demon Slayer and My Hero Academia coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Demon Slayer is definitely top of the list for anime, and My Hero is on the top of the watch list. So, I yeah, we're we're already off the rails here a little bit, but yeah, I'm currently in the <laughs> middle of a My Hero Academia binge and very excited for the opportunity to cast about it. And Demon Slayer, of course, is excellent. So. Well, we're not here to talk about that stuff. Let's talk about the yeah. animated series that we are here to talk about. What did you guys think about Marvel Studios' first animated content? What did you think? Take it away, Andrew. I mean, I have nothing but good things to say. I was blown away from the first moment that I was watching it, both the style of it, the storytelling. It was everything that I wanted it to be and more. And at this point, I've watched it about three times over, and wow. each time it's been amazing. And each time I've noticed something new, a character I missed, a line that I missed, there's just so many things to go over in all of this. Agreed, agreed. Zuhair, how are you feeling? I really enjoyed it. It gave me the same level of giddiness that the first two episodes of WandaVision gave for me. Because there was a lot of establishing like what the show was going to be, but it was just like a galore of references from everything that we know and love from the MCU. Uh, so it was a really great start. The story was fantastic. I love the way that they rolled into everything and kind of they explained what they were going with. But there was a lot of trust in the audience, too. And I'll get a little more into that stuff later. But uh, for the overall hmm. gist, like I was very happy with my with my initial viewing. OK, yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to to see what you're kind of uh, alluding to there, but. What did you, what did you think about the story that was presented and the the question that Owatu presented us with? Was that something that you got either one of you guys you know had a, a strong interest in? What was your what's what's your take on the character of of Peggy Carter kind of and the role that she serves in the MCU before all this and then having her you know perform this role of, of Captain Carter? Because I'm on record saying that it this episode just basically proved that she was a better candidate than Steve. And I love Steve Rogers as Captain America. So that feels a little bit like sacrilege, but it's hard to argue. Yeah. I think you are right on the money when you talk about uh, Peggy being a better candidate. I never would have seen it before. She always just kind of seemed like she was fighting the good fight, but never would have guessed that she would have been as big and strong and powerful as she was. And as quickly that she became effective, whereas Steve had to somehow jump through all sorts of hoops until he could get to the front lines. She just took matters into her own hands and said, I'm going to be the super soldier, which was mm -hmm. something that I never expected them to do. And I think is a fantastic look at the character that the movies never really got. Uh, the TV show got a little bit deeper into Peggy's character and sure. it kind of shows her power. But I think without the Agent Carter show, I never had an appreciation of what Peggy could be until all of this. Hmm, that's interesting. But I'm, I'm going to bounce off of that a little bit by saying that I wasn't the biggest fan of the Agent Carter TV show, but I loved the Agent Carter one shot. I thought that was a great mm. representation of her character and what she was capable of. And <laughs> I think of Paul Hoppy every time I say these words now as a martial uh -oh. artist. Um, <laughs> it's interesting seeing the progression of Steve Rogers throughout the movies. When he first got his powers, like he could barely throw a proper punch. Like he was strictly relying on his strength and speed that he got from the serum. 
as we go into Avengers, he develops boxing skills. As we go into Winter Soldier, MMA, and then later on you see more um, weapon proficiency. Peggy had all of that and before she got uh, the serum. So it was really cool. And that was, I'll, I'll tap into it a little bit, but the them trusting the fans. And for us right. to know that she's been a spy for a while, she's insanely accurate with a firearm, so throwing the shield wasn't an issue. She's combat mm-hmm. proficient. We saw a lot of that in the one shot that I love so much. So when she got the serum, it wasn't like... It wasn't a big surprise that she was able to like take up the mantle right away because she was capable of all that. And that serum enhanced everything that we already knew of her and everything that we Mm -hmm. loved about her. So it just made her 10 times cooler because she is a soldier and a spy. She has like that military discipline. So her being able to flex her powers and just be like, that's brilliant. And just yeah. be super giddy and happy and excited of like, oh, I'm going to F these dudes up. It was just such a wonderful, wholesome moment because it was a side of Peggy that we didn't get to see too much because she had to like maintain her composure. So it there wasn't anything outside of what we knew of her character. And they still got to play with different things that um, that stood true to like what we would expect of her. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, for one, I'm glad that they chose this question to be the the first episode, the premiere, because like everything we saw in the trailer, all the scenarios that we're going to see are all fascinating and I'm super excited for all of them, but it would have been, honestly, it would have been kind of tough to wait more than a week or two for this particular story because first Avenger is near and dear to my heart. It's probably my favorite phase one movie. I, that first Iron Man's a, a strong contender, but I really do think it's uh first Avenger. And, and you're kind of talking about putting the trust in the audience. Like they really did put the trust in the audience because you basically have that entire movie um, truncated into a 30 minute episode. And mm-hmm. it, it really does like ask you to, you know, this story already. So we're ta- we're looking at it through a, a different lens. And with that in mind, just a different perspective. What, what did you, what did you guys think about the animation style? Were you, were you on board? It's a little bit of a, a cartoony, like exaggerated style. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I ask. Well, I'll say at first I was definitely uh, a bit off. I didn't know how I felt about the cell shading just mm-hmm. from the trailers and everything else like that. But as soon as I got in, the way that they did the lighting, the way that they animated the characters and their movements and mannerisms, it just took me right into the scene. And I completely fell in love with the way that everything looked, how some of it was painted, some of it was CG, some of it was 3D, some of it was 2D. It just knocked my socks off. And I have so many great things to say about both the art style but the direction and lighting and so many people deserve so much credit for how good a lot of the scenes looked and i have like four written down in front of me that just i could talk for an hour about if we had that time let's hear the first one what do you got i mean i the biggest one that stood out to me was the castle infiltration scene uh, right at the end there the first bit of that is 30 seconds where they did a I guess you would call it a long take if it was a live action film where they decided to have the cameras pan around the characters as though it was actually on a tripod or as though it was on a track. And they Mm -hmm. didn't really need to do that. But instead, it just 
immersed you right in the action as you jumped from character to character without ever having a hard cut in there. It was just so perfect to give us a look at everyone moving into the castle, Peggy leaping over the wall with the silhouette of the moon behind her. It was just so breathtaking and the castle looks painted i'm not sure if it actually is because it's mixed in with all of the cg animation yeah but there's brush strokes that they intentionally put in there to make you notice it as it bounces off the light that aren't on the characters so it was a really nice mix of all these different uh pieces of it Hmm. so yeah not to jump to the end of the episode but that was a big Mm -hmm. one that stood no no that's that's quite all right and that was definitely a striking scene and and definitely her jumping and and being silhouetted by the moonlight was very iconic i'm really glad that you bring up the the camera work there because that's one of my favorite things about animation is just a given the right creative creatives at work like you can do things with the camera that you could just never do in live action and uh as yeah as far as the backgrounds go they definitely did have that that painterly hand-drawn hand-painted painted feel to it and it, it really did just come together to create such a cohesive and, and pleasing aesthetic. It it feels of the MCU, but it also has that like fantasy element that that just goes right into hand with the the nature of this show and a, the nature of a character like Awatu. Zuhair, what, what did you think about the animation? What were some of the sequences that stuck out to you? Uh, so you guys kind of took the words out of my mouth in regards to like how all the background scenery was very painterly like. Uh, I like that everything looked like um, brush strokes. Like you could take those backgrounds and just like hang it up on your wall somewhere. It was really beautifully done. Mm-hmm. My only, I don't even want to call it a negative. It's more nitpicky for me. I felt like sure. the the character movements were kind of clunky. Hmm. It didn't seem clunky in the fight choreography at all, but it seemed like during the general movements or maybe like just running towards the chamber and stuff like that, it just seemed clunky. I don't know if that's just me or if it just seemed a little off. Um, And then the lighting, it's not that the lighting was bad in any way. It did look really good, but it's, it's kind of unfair. I've gotten so used to the high level of contrast and dynamic range in Bad Batch that mm, when mm. you see the shadows being just black and the highlights being blown out, it, I, I just, I wanted a little more of that bad batch art. And again, it's, it's not, it's not fair. Obviously I'm comparing <laughs> um, two different things and it's just, it's just a matter of preference. It didn't look bad at all. Just out of personal preference. I've gotten so used to that high level of detail that I know Disney's able to do with the bad batch stuff that I was like, man, I wish they did that just a little more in, this series but it's perfectly fine yeah. they can't all look the same i'm uh i'm curious about some of the like the clunkiness that you're referring to i'll have to kind of like go back and, and comb through the episode but i'm wondering if it's kind of like andrew you brought up um spider-verse and i know one of the things they did in spider-verse is they actually played around with the the frame rates to kind of give it almost like the feel that you were kind of like flipping through a comic book to kind of get that motion so i wonder if maybe it was something that was done in t- intentionally that just didn't end up working that well. Uh, I didn't notice. I thought the, for the most part, the, the action was really smooth. And like, I felt like they leaned into like one of my favorite things about cartoons is, is some of the exaggerated things. Like when somebody gets punched in the face, like you can get that full 
their face kind of stretches out to the other side to give it like that full impact. Like I think about that montage. One of my favorite things about the first Avenger is its use of montages. A lot of people will criticize films for using montages. They think it's lazy storytelling, but I love a good montage and that sequence for Peggy showing off her, her punching ability in montage form was excellent for me. Oh yeah. The montage, there were more of the long takes and everything else that you could talk about. The only thing I wish it had, or I was expecting it to have was the onomatopoeia as the comic strips were (laughs) popping up. I was ready for a pow whop as she hit him with the shield and everything else, but for sure, for sure. That may have been a bit heavy handed for the MCU. I'm glad they did it in a way that you could picture that. Like, I didn't think of that as I was watching it, but now that you mentioned it, I'm kind of, like, replaying some scenes in my head. Like, they did have the slow motion as the opportunity to put that, so it's like your brain can kind of, like, fill it in. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's, I guess, an acknowledgement to that without directly having to do it. Sure. that's. I think that's a, a good assessment there. Especially because Into the Spider-Verse did it, and I think they don't want to copy their uh, Sony counterpart too much. Maybe. Yeah, and I like that they are making sure to differentiate themselves. As much as they're both Marvel, I couldn't see these two worlds necessarily crossing because they did such a good job of doing them differently. For sure. All all valid points. All valid points. Now, in addition to getting to see Peggy in such a, a different role, that saw a lot of other characters get to serve different roles. You know, Some of them were very similar to the previous versions of themselves we've seen. Like Howard Stark comes to mind. He didn't really change all that much. Just kind of the nature of his relationship with (laughs) Peggy, I guess a little bit, but Steve, we get to see Steve as the Hydra stomper. What what did you think about this? Like proto Iron Man, this world war two version of Iron Man. I thought it was really cool to see. The first thing that crossed my mind was, you know, the dialogue that Tony Stark has with Steve Rogers about how he hated him because his father wouldn't stop talking about him. Like, right. imagine him growing up having to deal with Captain Carter and Steve Rogers being the first Iron Man. Like, he must hate both <laughs> of their guts so much. <laughs> it was an interesting twist. I didn't expect... There was a lot of stuff, like, I was doing my best not to look into this, so I actually had some wow moments for me, which was mm-hmm. what I was hoping for. And one of the ones was the fact that they, they got the Tesseract first. And they were using the Tesseract as the power supply for the arc reactor. Because in Iron Man 2, we see that uh, they have the blueprints to, like, come up with the stuff, but the technology wasn't advanced enough. So they were using the Tesseract kind of design, like he had the blueprints of it. So the fact that Howard Stark already had these ideas for it, and it was like, hey, let's put it into this Mark 1 looking uh, Iron Man suit was like, oh, that is brilliant. And even though we saw that suit in the trailer, I didn't think that Steve Rogers was operating it. I was like, I'm just I'm going to shut down my brain and not think about it whatsoever. So when he got in the suit and they had the story of him getting shot in the leg, um, like uh, Haley Hobbs pointed out, that was kind of a nod to War Machine, too, because he got a leg injury Mm. and was still operating with the suit. I was like, "Ooh, good call. I didn't catch that. So leg injury operating the suit and then being powered by the Tesseract, like there were so many little nods to everything. It was just so beautifully done. Uh, The fact that 
Bucky was like, I think that's one of my friends too. And he was just going in and wrecking shop and they had the little like lightning laser thing. And I was like, this is so good. I am loving what they did with this thing. I need to order the Funko like sometime this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, bouncing off what you said about the Tesseract being uh, acquired by them first, I noticed it was an interesting ripple effect that that caused that I didn't expect to see coming that uh, Hydra no longer had the uh, weaponry that they did because they didn't have the Tesseract no. to test that all out. So that mm-hmm. was why the train scene was different because they couldn't attack them with Tesseract weapons. The montage did not have any of the big armor juggernauts. And right. it, it was just a whole different view of Hydra because they didn't have that power anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and that's where the the scenario changes the most i would say it's the fact that they have to pursue an entire entirely different entity and we know that they're basically trying to open up a portal to allow what they call like their interstellar warrior which we get to see some some tentacles it was definitely a tease for me i've i've been awaiting the appearance of shuma gorath in the mcu And they showed us just about everything except for the eye. It was like they gave us as much of Shumagorath without it being Shumagorath as possible. <laughs> I just did want to say I appreciated the fact that Red Skull kind of had a similar fate where as we didn't know at the time when we first saw when he picked up the Tesseract what happened to him. We thought for all intents and purposes he got vaporized there. So again, it's kind of his own like hubris is his own undoing. He, he's tapping into power that he doesn't understand and that tentacle doesn't hesitate to just wrap him up and crush him pretty quickly. <laughs> what article are you going to reference here zoo what do you got uh so this is from cnet i'm kind of reading this uh article on episode one just kind of as a reference of the events um in case i missed something but the way that sure. they worded this uh jay scotty's line was a perfect segue to what this says quote we don't get a good look at the multidimensional te- tentacle monster summoned by red skull but it immediately smushes him because he's apparently an idiot in every reality. Head writer AC <laughs> Bradley confirmed that the monster was inspired by the Abelisk from the epic opening of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Peggy slays it with a sword, much like Gamora did in Guardians 2. It uh, also has a slight resemblance huh. to Shumagorath, another interdimensional tentacle beastie from the Marvel comics. Okay. I did have the Abelisk somewhere in the back of my mind as well. I thought we may have been getting a Star Wars crossover and that it was a Sarlacc. Um, oh, I so thought I that was too. totally in the loop because I I had not seen anything with tentacles like that properly. So as soon as I saw the maw between the tentacles, I was <laughs> I was confused to say the least. Especially when the mouth and teeth opened up, I was like, "Yep, that's it." Yes, <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good. Call. I haven't watched Guardians two too many times, so that whole scene just didn't click to me until I read this, and I was like, "Oh, I got to bring this up." Mm, yeah, I'm glad you did. There, there are so so many nods and, and callbacks, and I'm sure I, I probably missed out on a few of them. But the one that definitely sticks out is Bucky when he gets saved by Peggy on the train top, and she grabs him by the arm, and you know he gives that you almost ripped my arm off wink nod. <laughs> <laughs> what were uh, what were some of the other ones that you guys caught? I'd be fascinated to hear. There was a big one that i caught it wasn't until the third time and that's why i wanted to mention that it took me so many times um Mm. they actually animated tommy lee jones's character of uh colonel chester in the he's in the beginning um right off to the side he actually takes the bullet uh for peggy 
and that's oh. she, she screams no as he gets shot and that's how we actually end up with colonel flynn being rude to her this whole time is because yeah. tommy lee jones's character couldn't keep going and i was absolutely astonished that they not only took the time to point out why we had a different colonel but he looks exactly like tommy lee jones as well it's uncanny I, yeah. I can't wait to to rewatch and catch that i'm so glad you brought that up that's that's incredible that's awesome yeah it was... i think that was one of the things that like i've only watched it once but i think that was one of the things i noticed but i didn't think anybody else noticed so i haven't talked about it but <laughs> jeff brought up i can't remember who told him but jeff randall said that um the who what was the replacement's name flynn uh yes john flynn voiced flynn by bradley whitford was in the agent Carter one shot. He was the douchebag that was bossing around and saying that she couldn't do anything. Cause she was a woman type of thing. And like yes. they had her in there as a formality. I was like, Oh, I didn't, I did that one. Didn't click to me. Yeah. This is just, it, it's just that example of the connected universe that Marvel didn't have to do all these things, but they did. And it pays off every single time you notice all the fun, interesting things. Oh, for sure. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about the vocal performances. Obviously, we had Haley Atwell returning to the title role of Captain Carter. Jeffrey Wright made his debut as a Watu. He's going to be our guiding voice through these proceedings. And while I'm bringing him up, amazing. Oh, he's, he sounds incredible, and he has that gravitas and that that presence. But that was one thing in terms of nitpicking. Again, I, I try to go into things without expectations or assumptions too much, but knowing that this was an anthology series, I really thought that he was going to serve that like uh, Rod Sterling in Twilight Zone or the Crypt Keeper in Tales of the Crypt, where we actually get to spend a little time with him at the beginning of the episode. And yeah, you hear his voice and you see him in the stars and whatnot, but I'm still optimistic that we're going to see Owatu play a more active role in these in these stories going forward. But um, I'll get off my soapbox there. What did you guys think about Awatu? What did you think about the... Did you have any any standout vocal performances? I mean, Bucky is always fun to have, whether he's animated, whether he is live action. There's just so much behind the character and the voice, and you could tell that there was a lot of fun going on behind the scenes in the booth recording scenes for... Mm -hmm almost all of these voice actors, but I, I think he would be the other standout. And then the only other note that I had is the fact that Stanley Tucci actually came back to voice oh, yeah. uh, Dr. Erskine for all of the 10 seconds that he was on screen. And I found yeah. it, I found it amusing that they got a lot of the small actors to come back um, as well. They did a good job of going right back into the characters and it didn't take you out of the world by any means because they were familiar again. Yeah, Stanley Tucci has appeared in not one but two Transformers movies, so I'm not quite as surprised that he's willing to uh, do anything to uh, pad his uh, pockets there. But I, I'm I'm kidding for the most part. Um, I did like Bucky a lot. Bucky had the funniest line of the episode for me. Who ordered the calamari? <laughs> I think I have to agree with uh, Bucky being the most impressive because we get to see like the charisma of Bucky Barnes in First Adventure, but then we never get to see it again until Falcon and the Winter Soldier because he's just Winter Soldier at that point. So we've only had two instances true. where we get to see the true Bucky Barnes. So being able to see more of that in the show was actually like really delightful because he is very witty, super charismatic, and um, 
seeing how capable he was as a howling commando because he was the only one who uh, died in the line of duty. So at this point, actually, every howling commando seems to have survived. Um, so it was it was a really cool story. I liked seeing him back in yes. there. He was he was the highlight for me outside of the main character. It was just man, the whole thing was just so well done. Oh yeah. What did you guys think of uh, Josh Keaton? Who Josh Keaton did the voice of of Steve Rogers, so he filled in for Chris Evans. I was just going to say, I, I think he did a good job. It it took me a little while to get used to, for sure. Mm-hmm. I am extremely curious if he's going to continue playing Steve Rogers in this, um, solely for the purpose in the credits, they only credit him as skinny Steve Rogers. So I hmm. don't know if when he goes through the transformation or becomes Captain America, because I think we've seen snippets of some of the other episodes is there going to be a different voice actor that tries to do more bravado with it? I think mm. he did a good job with being the skinny, scrawny guy. I don't know if I could necessarily envision him dancing around saying I could do this all day. Interesting. Interesting. That's a, a, a good pickup. I didn't notice that in the casting that he's credited as skinny Steve, but great catch. Yeah, it was too bizarrely funny that I <laughs> it felt like I had to have had some significance that mm. mostly because I feel a connection to that character because I'm a scrawny Rogers, but <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I really, I really, I enjoyed his performance. There was a couple of things where, well, there was a couple of points, especially in the bar scene where it's like he delivered some dialogue and I had to tell myself it's okay. It's a different voice actor. Just adjust because you tried because you know me, like I try to get lost in what I'm watching as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. But that was one of those of things I had. To, I had to turn off the comparison part. I was like, stop comparing. Just let this diet deliver how he wants to. And because we're used sure. to like Chris Evans's deep voice, even being on Skinny Rogers, like maybe this actually was more appropriate. But we're so tuned in to that deep voice that it was th- that one scene particularly i was paying more attention than i should have but as a whole i think he did a fantastic job Mm -hmm. and those are big shoes to fill oh for sure yeah now i was just gonna say i think that bar scene is just a little awkward in general Hmm. so then having those characters kind of do all of that it made it obvious that it wasn't our usual confident chris evans Awkward how so? Yeah, I, I, that bar scene was a bit too much of a uh, blow off of the issues that female Peggy was having trying to okay. be a woman in the 40s of power and mm. having a not confident, scrawny sounding voice kind of playing the pick me guy being like, well, no one listens to me either because I'm not big and strong. Well, you know that now that he got the armor, everyone's going to listen to him and Peggy had to fight Newth and tooth and nail to get there i i just felt it was a little bit of an off-putting scene to begin with that they brushed aside the issues that they brought up in the first place and did a good job of acknowledging uh female rights issues only mm-hmm. to then brush them kind of under the rug i i wasn't necessarily a fan of that so the voice acting i may have a skewed perspective in that scene specifically interesting no and i I think you're you're right about that i think disney has kind of a history they always like to kind of like skirt around subjects they try to want they want to satisfy as many people as possible so it's yeah 
we are, you know, bringing up the issue. So you can't knock us for that, but we're not going to do enough to offend anybody else on the other side. So yeah, I, I do agree with you there, but I, I, not that scene in particular, but I, I looked at it a little bit of a different way. It was the fact that, yeah. So in this, what if scenario, Steve, Howard Stark, obviously he has the Tesseract, so he has the capability. It's a little bit of a different scenario, but the fact that he makes the Hydra Stomper for Steve and like nothing like that was even ever offered to Peggy and it it just totally should have been. I thought it it was kind of like without saying it out loud, it was kind of showing that, but I, I agree with you. It could have been definitely more tackled a little more deftly, but. Yes, and not to say they didn't do a good job in other scenes, that one specifically, I think, is sure, my biggest sure. hand raise. Because her For giving sure. it back to Flynn was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're lucky to be here, General. Or Colonel. Oh, I absolutely love that line. But, Jay Scott, it's really interesting to say that. I didn't think of that until this moment. But in Captain America First Avenger, we have the scene of Howard Stark failing to make or failing to present his flying car. Mm-hmm. So because Howard Stark got the Tesseract before Zola did, it's interesting that he took the Zola road of like, Ooh, what can I make with this? Like the Iron Man suit could have been a concept when Steve Rogers was Captain America and Peggy was still a spy. But now that Uh this scenario has changed to the extent that he actually has the Tesseract and he's playing that Zola role of, Ooh, what kind of weapons and toys can I make with this? it makes sense that there's access to an Iron Man suit now. He didn't have that option because he was still sure. dealing with 1940s technology. Huh. Of course. But he, he did, though. Because we saw in Endgame, when they went back in time, both his uh, Howard and Peggy were at that base where they stole the Tesseract from. Oh, yeah, Camp Leahy. Yeah. So there was a point that he did have it, and he just never took this path. Hmm. Hmm. Not well, to stomp on your point, Zuhair. No, no. It was really, really good until I remembered that endgame scene. <laughs> well, maybe he just wasn't creative in the in the excitement of having a Captain America. For sure, for sure. But and that's that's what's so great about this show. It's all it takes is one question, one event, and they really do embrace that whole, you know, if a butterfly flaps its wings, it will create a, a hurricane elsewhere. And that's really what we see happening. And I'm really excited. The fact that we already know that we're going to get a season two and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's confirmed that captain Carter will be appearing again in season two. And there are already the rumors out there that she might be making the transition to live action. She might show up as soon as Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. What do you guys think about that? I hope that she does, but I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to join the cult of people that want Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3. If it happens, great. If not, I'm just going to trust Marvel to make some good stories. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'd love to see it, but I never hold them to those expectations. I just, I'll be anxiously awaiting whatever they present me with, and I'll try to go in with, you know, leveled expectations, but, uh, Andrew, what do you what do you think about these rumors and uh, the future of Captain Carter? I I think it would be fantastic. I definitely want to see more of the story because they left us on the perfect cliffhanger. I want to know if Bucky still turns into the Winter Soldier, or is mm. it Steve turning into her Winter Soldier, or mm. you know what happens with that? <laughs> and then on top of that, if we really want to get you know Mephisto fan theory on this one, 
I think there's actually a possibility that, yeah, I know. (laughs) If she were to show up live action, it could be between the past and the future. She goes into the Tesseract realm, goes to the future, fights Shuma Gorath in whatever live action movie, and then pops back out for season two of What If. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that could be the whole reason that she was able to fight it off this second time when she couldn't fight it off in the castle. But Mm. I'm on board with seeing Haley Atwell on screen with a sword and shield. (laughs) Sign me up now. Yeah. Yeah. I I made a really bad joke with uh, Jeff last night. We were, we were talking about the train scene and I was like, if Steve had a jacked up leg when he went down, if he got abducted to be the winter soldier, would he have a metal leg? (laughs) (laughs) I maybe. (laughs) That'd be that'd kind of be interesting to see in action. I'm I'm just kind of like imagining scenarios where he almost uses the leg like a pogo stick, and he's doing these like crazy aerodynamics and whatnot. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> you, you sound like you just made up a DC villain. Like that, that could be fucking Batman. Pogo, <laughs> Captain. Pogo. I don't know if this is any better, but it reminds me of uh, Iron Man three when he when he was trying to break free and he only had the boot and one of his gauntlets. So he kept like jumping up on that one foot. Oh yeah. 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 That's a good call. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, I, it sounds like we are, we're winding down here. So I will uh, open up the floor to you guys, whatever final thoughts, whatever standout moments, whatever things that you absolutely have to say about this premiere episode of what if, what do you got? I got two things. Okay. We didn't talk about the train scene nearly enough, and I thought that uh-huh. that was the best part of the episode. The fact mm. that they had the zip line, but Hydra Stomper actually had to like slow down the train first was really cool. And at this point, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just on the edge of my seat, just totally locked in, watching each frame by frame. And the you almost ripped my arm offline was incredible. I loved it. But still after that, I was like, what is going to happen? I really don't know. I don't know what Red Skull's agenda is. I don't know what they're going for. I don't know what the plan is. So when Steve like pulled the train open and went in, I was like, what's happening? What's happening? And I saw the explosives. I was like, oh, snap, this is not going to be good. Saw the explosion. It it broke my heart like right there. I, I thought he was dead. I didn't think he was going to be Winter Soldier or anything or that. I just thought he was straight dead, especially with how passionate Howard was about the suit being indestructible and he was dead set on it and this and that. Dude, that broke my heart. That actually got me because I didn't see it coming Mm. and just how well they did it. Um, Man, it was just so good. And that, I guess I never said what I teased at the beginning. I love how much Marvel is trusting the audience at this point. Because like you said, mm-hmm. they had to put two hours worth of First Avenger into like 20 some minutes of this What If episode. And because they know that MCU fans have seen these things over and over again, those emotions mm-hmm. relay with it too. the music, the emotional buildup, the timing, all that stuff didn't need to be there because our like subconscious filled in the gaps of like what they had to rush through. And it didn't feel rushed because we've experienced it and it's like in our our mental state so heavily that it was really easy for us to like 
understand the intensity of everything that was coming. And that was so beautiful and so genius of them to trust us with so that they could focus on the stuff that they really wanted to, to make the story different than what we've gotten. Yeah. Agreed. Well, well said. Yeah. And jumping in on that, I, at first I thought it was a little fast. And then I realized, like you said, they trusted us and they, we didn't miss anything important. They gave us the fun. They gave us the action sequences that just, again, animation is the perfect way to show all of this action and fights and without having to suspend disbelief at any point i was fully believing everything that i saw without having to worry about bad cg or stunt doubles or anything i was just locked in the whole time and marvel just giving us things that we wanted to see was perfect and how you talked about them trusting us I also think they did this perfectly for those of us that they couldn't trust that aren't the major MCU fans. Mm. I think this was an amazing first episode of What If, that they gave us a story that most of us kind of knew already, even if you're not a diehard, you've probably seen or know the story of the first Captain America movie. So if you're not a diehard, this was a way to ease you in, show you we're going to change one small thing at the beginning and see what happens those of us that are big fans picked up on the Easter eggs and what if you rip my arm off and why things were different, but casual fans could still enjoy this thoroughly all the way through. And it's Mm -hmm. a perfect way to get you adjusted to things are going to get a little crazy because I think this is going to be the last linear to a movie episode. Maybe Star-Lord is T'Challa or T'Challa is Star-Lord will be linear to Guardians. I think after that, we're going to start going off the rails. So them easing us into it, I think this was a really, really good call and a great way to start the show on a note that has me just excited to see where this goes in every single way. For sure. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Just two thoughts based on some of the things you brought up there. In terms of, and I said it too, yeah, they put a lot of trust in the audience so that we didn't need to see all of the beats from First Avenger, but... Talking about the future of Captain Carter, I guess one of the scenes that I would like to see or the equivalent of the scene, just just, just to have, I guess, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it would have already taken place in, in this what-if scenario regardless. It's, I'm thinking of the scene where Steve dives on the grenade because that's just one of my, every time I see that scene, I still get goosebumps. So I was just curious what the equivalent for Peggy would have been, but we all know that in that scene, she made the move to dive on it as well. It was just the fact that Steve got there first. So, um, And then the other thing is just talking about the animation and, and being able to do things that you can't do otherwise, especially with the action. Uh, I did want to bring up the that she goes against that bruiser, the the guy you know that calls her a little Froyline or whatnot. Um, <laughs> Jeff and I did talk about it, and Jeff loved that scene, and I did too. But had we had that scene in live action, that would have been a rated R scene. You cannot have a man's face being slammed into the concrete like that. And in retrospect, I really wish I would have said crater face. Your name's <laughs> crater face. <laughs> I love in that scene that she threw the shield down. She mm. beat everyone else with the shield. The minute she said fragile throws the shield down and shows him that she is not messing around. It was amazing and that was a nod to captain america winter soldier when he goes against uh what's his name jack the leaper uh Bat- Bat- yeah batrock yeah, yeah and he was like oh i thought you were more than just a shield yeah and both of those scenes kind of um 
remind me of Indiana Jones a little bit as much as like these are like kind of like swashbuckling stories. It always, for whatever reason, reminds me of uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark when the guy I'm getting in the weeds here, but basically he's got the huge dude that outmatches him physically and he basically has to push him into the propeller blade. But whatever, for whatever reason, whenever you get like that hulking person to go up against, I, I always think about that. But anyway, yeah. any any other things you guys wanted to bring up about this this first episode? While I was thinking about it, I, we didn't really talk about the music. Did the music strike a, a chord with anybody? I, I I think it did a good job in like evoking that feel of that movie and whatnot, but it didn't really stick out to me otherwise, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that means it's doing its job. It wasn't, I didn't notice it in a bad way either. So. Yeah. I think it's just reinforcing what I said about, um, they kind of just trusted us to bring the emotion from what we've experienced from past series. Sure. So they didn't need to go too crazy with the music because the buildup for what they were doing, um, kind of filled in the need for that. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it brought familiar emotions for sure. There was a lot of emotion in the first watch because of familiar soundtracks and match cuts between the live action and animated. Mm-hmm. I I think it was almost intentional that they didn't want the music to overshadow too much. And I think that's always Marvel's intention is that they leave sure. it on the more subtle side and let the scene speak for themselves. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what did you want to say about this bar scene, Mr. Ali? What you got? Oh, so, you know, we don't like to get too political into things or whatnot, but I like the fact that they actually had that conversation. And to all the listeners, this is the perspective of a single minority male. I am just one individual. It's my opinion. If there's something you want to discuss, shoot us an email. I'd be happy to hear uh, a woman's thoughts on what how they perceive the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, one of my favorite things that MCU does is that they don't have the, hey, look at this strong woman because she's a woman, she's powerful and capable and this and that. They actually take a character, give her background, give her story, give her reasons for us to admire, and then it just happens to be a woman. They're so good at the character development. They're so good at how they portray these people and making us like actually want to appreciate everything about them. Because I think it goes for a lot of like uh, male characters where it's kind of like you kind of have like the superhero, like this is what we expect of them type of thing. And whether we hurrah or hate it is, you know, our own opinion. But with Black Widow, with Gamora, with Scarlet Witch, with Peggy, they they gave it so much time to develop and so much character. Like we genuinely care for these characters and for these people and for their personalities. And when they have their badass moments, we cheer because they actually took the time to build it up and they don't need the dialogue of we're women and we're capable and powerful because their actions show that their ability to handle situations show that their ability to, process and move forward and be the badass people they are is something that I've appreciated about MCU and I wish that other studios would take note on. Because oh my god did the CW stuff drive me nuts with that. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. I it's it's funny. I think that the in-game uh moment is is probably one of the areas that they stumbled a little bit. And I and I do like that mm-hmm. moment. It's I mean 
I it does make me roll my eyes a little bit just because it is like, and I, I don't know why I'm being so negative here because you're right. More often than not, they do such a wonderful job. That's kind of why that one sticks out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very subtle, and you're right that actions speak louder than words, and these are very competent and capable characters. And yeah, it's just a, a joy to 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 watch them and to see them do what they do best, and that's kicking ass, be it in live action or animated form. I like that scene the first time. I watched it because like it didn't occur to me how many women characters they had developed because it was typically like one woman like in a group of guys in sure. a different property. Of course. So when they actually were on screen at, at one time, I was like, holy crap, that's a lot. Of course, afterwards, it was just kind of like the hey, look it up type thing. But um, it yeah. was cool on first watch for me personally because I was like, wow, that's a lot of them. They've been doing this for a while because it just never occurred to me. I was looking hmm. at them just individually like per property Mm -hmm. oh for sure i think that scene was so powerful and it showed you the power of the women in mcu which again only strengthens your point zuhair that we didn't question that so many of these characters were female because you were just like yes of course i know that wasp and scarlet witch and shuri and black widow and the list goes on are powerful Mm -hmm. i didn't question it i agree it was that second time you were like wait they felt like they had to justify that they had all these women together instead of just letting them be the powerhouses that they were and i think there's a perfect counter to that in infinity war there's the amazing scene where it's um black widow scarlet witch and uh one of the dora milaje all saving each other oh yeah and they uh yes okay thank you and they didn't pause on it they didn't say hey look at what we're doing it was just women fighting and being amazing and saving each other's lives she was mm-hmm. up there the whole time yeah exactly <laughs> and they played with it they had fun with it and yeah. yeah i i also probably should have prefaced all of my comments earlier with this is also the perspective of a <laughs> cis white male it's i i think we probably should have had a female on the cast if we were knew we were going to jump into this but it just kind of appeared as the conversation went on but hey it opens up a dialogue, so <laughs> we also have yeah. enough um uh female listeners that kind of like message us about you know what they thought of the episodes and everything too. So I generally do want to hear their thoughts on what they thought because I haven't been able to like generally get their opinions yet. That was more of a, a weekend goal. So um yeah, I genuinely want to hear how you guys felt about that. And I think that's Agreed. a great time for us to plug our email animation deliberation podcast at gmail.com please write into us give your thoughts about that scene give your thoughts about that whole episode because we'd love to hear it and we'd love to talk about it on another episode i want so much feedback that we have to do an individual feedback episode that's my challenge to you what if what if we got so much feedback we had to do a standalone feedback episode I loved doing that for Invincible, and I don't think we've like fully covered a show well enough to have that level of response. True. So please write in. (laughs) Don't sound so desperate. (laughs) I think this will be a great opportunity to get more of that feedback, though. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it sounds like we are just about done here. So, Andrew, do you have anything going on that you want to let the people know about? No, honestly, I don't. I tried to prepare for this question to say something, and no, I am... (laughs) I'll take this as my little time to say thank you both for having me. 
this has this has been nothing but fun the stranded panda army is nothing but an amazing and welcoming community so if you guys have not joined in on all of the chats and stuff make sure you do that because they're fantastic and yeah thank you guys again for giving me the opportunity if things happen and you want another guest i'm more than happy to do this again and if you just want me to volunteer to come and read your feedback at the end of every episode (laughs) i'll just read off reviews for like 20 minutes and you can just throw it in there no, it was, it was an absolute pleasure to have you. You brought up a lot of a lot of things that I didn't that didn't register with me. I'm glad that you got to watch it three times because yeah, I've I've only seen it the once so far, but I'm absolutely itching to to go back and pick up on some of these details you you highlighted. So yeah, thanks for being here. Well, I was definitely a little nervous as this is I didn't have anything to plug because I've never been on a podcast before. So I wanted <laughs> to make sure I was well prepared. <laughs> so I I did the whole thing to make sure that I was able to keep up with you guys. You did the great. Podcast cherry great. has been popped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, On that note, <laughs> <laughs> I will say thanks for listening and keep tuning in. That's T O N I N. Stay whelmed. Word. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.